I mean, you know, I, um, one of the things that I kind of alluded to this before when you and I were talking, but one of the things that I think is um, so important about telehealth services is that it augments the existing doctor-patient relationship as opposed to disrupts it. And yep. that's one of the things that when I look at all the technology that's available, um, I alluded to things that I think are dubious technology in order to sell stuff. But I think that's a differentiator that, that I think is important for doctors to consider is that if there are things that I can do remotely that, um, that helps bring, up, bring me closer and provide better care for a patient, then I should have access to those types of things. And do you get a lot, I mean, I, I share with you some of the things that we see in eye care that kind of might be barriers, but are there other things outside of eye care where you say, gosh, this, this thing is really hurting people's perception of what, um, of what we're offering is? You know, I mentioned um, in to terms you, of telemedicine? I mentioned to you, yeah, in terms of telemedicine where, you know, I, you, you'll see things like, I, I won't name things, I won't name brands specifically but you know there are things that exist for braces or you know mm. kind of yeah, like yeah, braces yeah. not braces but but um yeah. you know uh, to teeth adjustment orthodontia there are things that exist um in eye care there are things that exist in men's and women's health does that right, right, um right. do you see those things as being a detractor for for other providers to kind of um say i'm going to do this in my practice and i see the value of it or are they just sway they're just um diluted by the fact that that's their perception yeah i think that um so we view there's two definitions of telemedicine and we we've we are a telemedicine technology and so we don't care we we provide technology to providers to see patients and we're pretty agnostic about how those providers, what they do, and how they provide care. So, if you're uh, if you are uh, uh, a uh, a urologist who provides a whole suite of uh, services, including prescribing uh, ED pills, okay, great. Or if you are a company that just specializes in pumping out ED pills, okay, well, that's how you choose to do it. We don't care. We it, and if as long as you're not doing anything illegal or unethical. We are here to pr provide a technology that helps you do what you're trying to do and leave it up to that debate to happen elsewhere. Yeah. Um, and, and so, so that's let how me we, ask you. We, yeah. Do you care? Hello and welcome to the Chris Will Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Brandon Welch about uh, his development and creation of DoxyMe, which is a telehealth app that we can use in our practices to augment the care that we're providing. Uh, it was a great conversation about that evolution and it was really insightful for me. So please enjoy our conversation. And as always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends and support those who support us. I want to talk about the My Day Multifocal for a second. It's just coming out and... We had the opportunity to do a preclinical trial with this lens this last summer. And there were a couple things that I thought were really helpful. The first one is that it is different than a lot of the multifocals that we've used before in our practices where patients, especially early emerging presbyopes, really managed the, it didn't cause a lot of additional uh, distance blur for them. And the other thing that was really helpful was, because we've never been involved in a clinical trial before, was to understand 
the sort of questions that we might ask our patients. And we ask a pa- our patients a lot of questions about their patient about their satisfaction with a contact lens. But what we weren't doing was actually having them score that themselves. So one of the parts of this that was really interesting to me was asking patients on a scale of one to ten how they would score their vision, how they would score their comfort in their current lenses, and then how they would do the same on their uh, new lenses. And it showed me a lot of times where patients would say they were happy, might rate their vision as a six or a seven. And um, and then it also reframed their thinking about their current satisfaction in their lenses and allowed me to open up the door to offering other solutions. So if you haven't tried something like that in your clinical practice, I would encourage you to. And I would also encourage you to try the MyDay Multifocal for your patients. Brandon, thanks so much for doing this today. Can you tell me a little bit about your background and what brought you to telehealth and, and specifically DoxyMe? Yeah, so my background is actually, um, I did my undergrad in biology and uh, growing up, uh, my family's all in business and I, uh, I was first introduced to genetics actually. Uh, as a AP biology student, I, I'm from upstate New York and I went to Cornell for this high school biology, AP biology day. And I was first introduced to the the human genome and how uh, everybody's going to have their genome on a chip. And so I got, that's when I got first interested in, in healthcare. And I said, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. I want to be a genetic counselor. I want to u- understand the human genome and, and help patients change their, their, their health, improve their health through their genome. And so I went and I did my undergrad in biology with uh, emphasis in genetics. I went and got a master's degree in human genetics uh, from Tulane. Um, and I started a, initially a company that did genetic, um, that built, that as a software to help patients keep track of their family history, essentially a pedigree builder, a family health history builder online. So that's my first intro- introduction to technology and using technology to improve health. Uh, from that, it wasn't terribly successful other than it landed me a job at a, a genetic counseling company that did genetic counseling by phone. So that was my first experience in, hey, you can provide care not in person. You can do it over the phone. And so I worked for this genetic counseling company and, um, and I, you know, still involved with the technology, even though I, my, my training was in biology and human genetics. I didn't really have any formal training in, in, um, in technology or business, but you know, I, that's ended up what I was doing. I was in business and technology with that background, but, um, but I was still kind of like passionate about like, I want to keep building technology. And so I went back to do my PhD, uh, in biomedical informatics. And that's where I, I had a background in health. I had some experience, but I really wanted to learn how to build health IT technology because I felt that the future of healthcare is all in health IT, that the new technologies made available is uh is is going to be in the space and and i'm still passionate about genetics and 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 so specifically focused on building technology to help patients and doctors manage genetics because genetics is complicated and so i went back to my phd i was at the university of utah um and uh and my phd was all around building electronic health records and electronic decision support to help doctors manage whole genome sequence information. And so I'm able to use my genetic background and training. I've, I've got additional training in health IT and informatics, and I brought it together. My PhD thesis is all around that, and I loved it. And um, and so I did my PhD work in that. But on the side, I'm, I'm kind of entrepreneurial, and um, at the University of Utah, they have these 
um, startup competitions. And I was working on another project for, I was, in, I was part of the personalized healthcare program, uh, we were personalized healthcare using genetics, but also other patient attributes. And um, there's a, uh, we started working with the um, obstetricians who are providing prenatal care. And, and they, they brought up this issue that, hey, you know, pregnant moms come in for like 13 or 14 in-person visits, and that is an unnecessary use of healthcare resources and time and money and effort for patients to travel in just to get weighed and just say, hey, how are you doing? Is there a way we can reduce this, this treatment burden on the patients? And I was on this team, and as a technologist on the team, uh, we were like, well, hey, I worked for a company that did telephone care before. Why don't we do, you know, and now at this time, this is back in 2013, 2014, like FaceTime has become more popular. We're like, let's just use Skype or FaceTime to do video visits with the pregnant moms. And as a technologist on the team, it's my job to go find the technology to use. And so uh, I went out and said, uh, all right, I went to Google, the, the trusted uh, <laughs> the trusted source of all knowledge and wisdom in health healthcare. And I just Googled, uh, I, and I'm like, well, actually, first of all, step back. At first I was like, you know what? Every mom has a phone. Uh, they've all got an iPhone. So w let's just use FaceTime or Skype. Mm -hmm. And we put, gave that proposal back to the university and they said, no, you can't use FaceTime or Skype. It's not HIPAA compliant. Go find a HIPAA compliant telemedicine solution. And so I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, okay. I go to Google, the infinite source of wisdom. And uh, I Google simple and free telemedicine solution because that's all I was looking for. And I Googled it and literally nothing came up. Hmm. And I was like, how does everything in the world is free on the internet? How is there not a free telemedicine app out there? And I was like, oh, well, we need that for the study. And there's these business competitions out there I can probably like get some you know money for or whatever. So I submitted the initial idea for a simple and free telemedicine solution to one of these student competition ideas, uh, and ended up winning three thousand dollars for the, the the consumer choice award. So all the it was voted by some judges, and then everybody else got to vote for theirs, and and everybody else voted for um, this this simple and free telemedicine app called DoxyMe. And uh, so we're like, oh, great, awesome. We got $3,000. Let's go hire a developer to go hack together a, a simple app for it. And so we used the $3,000, built the first version of the app, and then made it available for the study that we did. And, and the providers were like, oh, this is great. It's so nice. It's HIPAA compliant. It was HIPAA compliant because it was encrypted and we didn't collect any patient information. Hmm. So it was HIPAA compliant. And, and as I started using it, I said, oh, this is so great. It's so easy. But hey, it'd be really nice if we knew who the patient was so they could check in. You know, it'd be really nice if, you know, sometimes patients come late or some come early, if there's like some type of patient queue and, and that the patients could wait in like a waiting area, but, but not see each other. And so we're like, yeah, sure, we can do that. And so we, again, submitted those additional ideas. So we put it out there, got feedback from patients and providers and what they liked and didn't like. And we put that idea out there uh, to the next business competition and said, hey, we need more money to build this because this is what our doctors and patients are saying they want. And we got it. So we're like, okay, great. And here's $5,000. Let's go invest that and build that uh, they want. And, and so we kept doing that. And meanwhile, I'm doing this while I'm working on my PhD as well. So this is kind of like a little side gig going on. Well, we kind of kept going through this iterative cycle of like, like put the version out there, get feedback, and then build that next version based upon that feedback. And we did this a couple times to the point that by the time I graduated my PhD, um, 
we had a, like a fully functioning product that essentially that you see now, pretty much like 70% of what you see now, what's available now, was available uh, at this time and is essentially just scrapped together with student competition winnings. And we also put together a business plan and a statewide business competition. Uh, so all graduate students from across the state of Utah could submit their idea to uh, this competition. And uh, so all the universities and, you know, I don't have an MBA or a business degree, but we ended up winning the, the best business plan because of because our, our goal was to make telemedicine available to all. And we do that by providing a simple and free solution that doesn't exist in the market. And, and that's always been our mantra from the very beginning. And we built our, our product around that and, and it won. And we, we said, great, we got more awards. And we, so we just pushed it back into the product. I got a position at the Medical University of South Carolina as a, an assistant professor to do research on my genetics uh, health IT stuff. And so I went there to continue that line of work and I write grants and publications um, doing that genetics research. Um, meanwhile, this little like telemedicine product, we said, hey, you know, I'm going to be a full-time professor. And my, my partner was another student at the time and he's just like, well, I'm kind of doing something else myself. We're like, let's just push it out there and just, it's free, we'll see what happens. And yeah, we put it out there and people started signing up and it just kind of spread by word of mouth. It didn't like go crazy overnight, but it was just every month there was always more people signing up and we didn't really do any marketing. It was just kind of like people telling other people about this free app hmm. and uh, <clears throat> people find it on Google because you know people are searching for simple and free telemedicine solution and we're the only one there. So we get, we just, you know, more and more people are finding it. And you know, over, over a couple of years, we just kept growing it and we, you know, we, people kept asking for features. We kept building those features and we kind of got to a point where we're like, you know what, we should probably start charging people for this stuff uh, <laughs> to, to make money. Uh, and so we created, a, we have the free version and we moved a bunch of the features to the professional version and then the clinic version, which is white labeled for large organizations. Um, and, and people will start paying for it. We're like, great. So as we were able to, uh, continue to bring in money based upon people paying for the pain versions, we were able to start hiring more people. So my partner was able to um, start working full time for DoxyMe and, and uh, we were able to hire more developers full time and support staff full time. And, but you know, at the same time, we didn't like go out and try to raise a bunch of money and do the whole VC game. We just said, no, let's just, as we get money, we'll just invest it back in the product. And, um, and so by the time, uh, 2020 rolls around. We had about seven or eight employees, still cash flow positive. At the time, we had about 80,000 providers on our platform. Hmm. Uh, and this is pretty much just word of mouth, natural, yeah. organic growth. Um, and nothing doing anything crazy. We're not pouring in millions of dollars of investment. It's just kind of like, hey, we have enough money to hire somebody else. Well, who do we want to hire this? You know, um, and uh, that, that's, and we were happy with that. And you know, as a side thing, I was working full time as a university professor, um, and we were just happy as can be. We we the our, we specialize, or most of our providers were like single solo providers or, or small clinics that hmm. small groups. Um, not we didn't go after these large health systems. Or why do you think that was? What's up? Why do you think that that it was the case that small providers wanted to access your services as opposed to large entities? At first. Well, because we were simple and free, um, a lot of these solar providers didn't have the health, the health IT staff or chief technology officers to pick that technology. 
when you go to the large enterprises, it's the CTOs and the whole health tech teams that are going out and picking the technology. So they're out there picking like American Well and Teladoc and the big systems that are designed for enterprises. That just wasn't our game. And we just said, no, we're focused on the provider and solving their problem. And we just made it super simple and low cost that everyday Joe, show, Joe, everyday Joe uh, providers are be like, yeah, I don't need a whole staff to figure this out. Doxme is easy. I'm just going to use that. And so, and that was our sweet spot. And that's where we focused. So those 80,000 providers, you know, I would think that, that a number of them would have been, like you said, genetic counselors, uh, mental health providers. When, when you look at the uptake, could you, did you kind of figure out any kind of trends where it was more uh, amenable to certain types of providers at first? Yeah, 60% of our users then and about the same percentage now are in the mental and behavioral health space. So it's just naturally, they're, they don't need to see the person in person and physically touch them. Um, and, and that field was already more um, ahead of the, the curve in terms of using telemedicine. They're the ones leading a lot of the telemedicine anyway, not just with Doxamy, but just across the board. And so, um, so it was about 60% of our users were mental and behavioral health. For the tip, for the everyday physician, like pediatricians, family doctors, you, you have that technology adoption curve where you have the innovators and early adopters mm-hmm. um, who are using it, and that's where we were pre-COVID. Was a lot of the in the in the mental behavioral health space, you had kind of the early majority that is starting to pick up. We're seeing that growth there, but the the everyday physician, pediatricians, family docs, they're the ones that were still in the innovator early majority phase. Um, and so it was slower among them, and it took more to convince them to try it uh, pre-COVID. You know, right now we've got to be on the the kind of that that big peak of the wave coming through. Um, I, yeah. I think what you articulated about family medicine docs and and some other primary care doctors um, is the same kind of problem that we have in in eye care is just how do I do this? I'm, I there are so many physical aspects to what I'm doing. Um, and like I told you before, kind of my, my thought was, all right, well, when we were forced to, let's figure out what we can do that doesn't require a physical interaction and let's, let's lean into that. So, um, so is that the same sort of thing that you're seeing? I mean, uh, um, with, with those other healthcare providers? Yeah. I, I mean, it was easy to, we put it out there and people came to us. Um, and, but one of the examples we used to say, Hey, you can use this for us was like, um, well, mental behavioral health is kind of like, look, you can see your patients anywhere, you know, don't be limited to just the physical office. And, and, you know, we had mental health providers who moved across the country who are still able to see their patients, um, uh, and, and didn't lose them. And, and because it's like they, they could still see them. And so those are the examples that we were using for the mental behavioral health because the, the type of care is different. But for the, the traditional doctor, it, the, our approach and our messaging was more of like similar to what you're doing with optometry, which is it's to augment. It's, telemedicine isn't here to replace in-person visit, but it's to just give another option for your patient to see you that you can make your service more accessible, more convenient, if it makes sense, if the patient wants it, and if it doesn't make sense for the patient to drive in, yeah, this is another option to see your patient. And so the messaging was slightly different based upon the provider type, but 
Um, it's, it's about providing greater access to care and greater flexibility, but you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it if you don't want to. It's right. just, it, if it makes sense for the patient, if it makes sense for you, it makes sense for the, the, the purpose of the visit, then absolutely, here's another option available to you. Similar to the prenatal care stuff. You, you, if, you, if you want to do it, great. If you don't, that's fine, but it's, it's an option for you and it's safe. Do you think that, um, that there's a lot of people that are using this, like if you're in a rural portion of the country and you want to see a specific oncologist, you know, if I'm, if I'm in Western Nebraska and I, and I have a rare blood disease and I can go to my local lab and get blood draws and get that sent over, are you seeing a lot of that type of stuff where the oncologist in Omaha or in, you know, Loma Linda, right, or wherever these big cancer centers are, are now saying, look, I don't need to physically examine the patient. I can rely on some of the you know, primary care providers or the local general oncologist in that specific town to do these other things. And then they're coming in. Are you seeing much of that? Yeah. So pre-COVID, that was a lot more theoretical. Hmm. Like, Why is hey, that? you should do telemedicine because of that. Well, I, it's just, it's okay. just the- People weren't it, doing it. It's hard to- yeah, yeah, it's just people are in their comfort zone and they, they don't have to do that. Do you think payment had anything to do with that? Where it was hard to um, get reimbursed yeah, sure for those services? Did, but, but, but again, I think if people really wanted, if providers, and I say people, I mean providers, if providers really wanted to do it, they can make it work. Because there were early innovators and early adopters who were doing it and making it work and being successful with it. But it, it had they had to be a little bit more creative. And, and a lot of providers just, we're happy with the status quo. They were getting paid. There's no need to change. So why go through the extra effort to change it? So in theory, the, yes, that was what it was like pre-COVID. But when COVID hit, it was very much like, oh, crap. Uh, if I'm going to get paid, I got to do this, whether they were in rural areas or not. But once that, once they realized that, once they crossed that chasm and said, oh, I can do this to my patient that is here in town or across the state and there's no difference, now the aha moment goes off in their head and say, oh my gosh, I can really expand my practice. And you're seeing a lot more of that now because the, the, the ice is broken and the cat's out of the bag. And so it's just, you, you, now it's turned that theory into practice, which is exciting because we knew this was possible all along, but now it's actually happening. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, um, one of the things that I kind of alluded to this before when you and I were talking, but one of the things that I think is um, so important about telehealth services is that it augments the existing doctor-patient relationship as opposed to disrupts it. And that's yep. one of the things that when I look at all the technology that's available, um, I alluded to things that I think are dubious technology in order to sell stuff. But I think that's a differentiator that, that I think is important for doctors to consider is that if there are things that I can do remotely that, um, that helps bring, uh, bring me closer and provide better care for a patient, then I should have access to those types of things. And do you get a lot, I mean, I, I share with you some of the things that we see in eye care that kind of might be barriers, but are there other things outside of eye care where you say, gosh, this, this thing is really hurting people's perception of what, um, of what we're offering is? You know, I mentioned to um, you, I mentioned to you, yeah, in terms of telemedicine where, you know, I, you, you'll see things like, I, I won't name things, I won't name brands specifically, but, you know, there are things that exist for braces or, you know, kind of like mm. brace, not braces, yeah, yeah. but, but, um, you know, yeah. uh, teeth adjustment, orthodontia, there are things that exist, um, in eye care. There are things that exist in men's and women's health. Does that, um, right, right, do you right. see those things as being a detractor for, for other providers to kind of, um, 
say, I'm going to do this in my practice and I see the value of it? Or are they just sway, they're just um, deluded by the fact that that's their perception? Yeah, I think that, um, so we view, there's two definitions of telemedicine and we, we've, we are a telemedicine technology. And so we don't care. We, we provide technology to providers to see patients and we're pretty agnostic about how those providers, what they do and how they provide care. So if you're, uh, if you are, uh, uh, a, um, a urologist who provides a whole suite of, uh, services, including prescribing, uh, ED pills. Okay, great. Or if you are a company that just specializes in pumping out ED pills, Okay, well, that's how you choose to do it. We don't care. We it, and if as long as you're not doing anything illegal or unethical, we are here to pr provide a technology that helps you do what you're trying to do, and leave it up to that debate to happen elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so and, let me and ask so that's you. We, we, yeah. Do you care? Um, I don't really care. I focus more on the technology. Uh, the thing that I do care about, though, is well, we provide technology and for telemedicine but there's other people providing telemedicine uh technology that is just kind of like well you should probably be careful about this like people using whatsapp hmm. for telemedicine like whatsapp is owned by facebook and you know who knows what's happening and is it really safe and secure so we're focused much more on the the, the technology piece and and say look we are designed for healthcare. we are only focused on healthcare. We're designed for that patient-doctor interaction where something like Zoom is, oh yeah, we do healthcare, but they also do education. They also do business and they also do everything under the sun that's just video. Well, is it really telemedicine? Well, yeah, you can use it for telemedicine, but is it the ideal experience? And so yeah. where refocus is on is providing the best technology for telemedicine. And we look at things of like, we are HIPAA compliant and secure. We are designed for the healthcare experience, the workflow, the clinical workflows. Uh, and we're super easy to use because, gosh, patients are not the smartest people in the world. Sometimes doctors aren't the smartest people in the no. world. And so we got to keep it as simple as possible. And we do that by providing a technology that doesn't require patients to log in, doesn't require patients to download anything. It's a simple link and you start a call. And we focus on just creating a great experience. It's simple to use. And that's how we're going to have the greatest impact on telemedicine is providing a technology that's easy to use. And then thus it could be used worldwide by any provider to provide care to patients and then let the other debate happen of, well, is this type of care appropriate? Even though it's done by telemedicine, is it appropriate? There are going to be cases of telemedicine done unethically and appropriately. We are totally not in favor of that, but we don't get in the middle of the debate of what, what telemedicine is and isn't. Right. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that, the, uh, as I said to you before, I think that's a real challenge of uptake is in our profession is this idea that if I have in my mind what telemedicine is and because of technology that I think is not very good, then it prevents me from engaging in technologies that can be really good because, um, because I think if I do this, then I'm supporting everything, right? And I think that's the real right. challenge that providers have. Anyway, providers in eye care have is, is if I do some sort of um, telehealth service, then I'm saying to my patients that all telehealth services or all telemedicine services are appropriate. And I don't think that's what you're saying. In fact, I actually think that 
um, patients in my chair, you know, physically in my chair, and also patients that are engaging with me um, virtually will completely understand the difference between the type of care I'm providing and the type of care that's being provided underneath these dubious, uh, like, like I've said before, dubious technologies. And most of the time, those are um, those are uh, store and forward type of technologies. There's right. not a lot of back and forth, if any. Um, but but in any case, I think that it it will allow them to actually see with more clarity the difference between what we're providing in our practice um, in person and remotely, as opposed to thinking, oh, I can just go do this online. And I think that's a real, um, I look, I view that as an advantage. And if I'm doing it now, as opposed to doing it in five or 10 years, I think that, um, that really is helpful for patients. You know, um, I, I grew up in upstate New York and, uh, south of Rochester and Rochester is the home of Kodak, uh, hmm. the film company. And, um, they were, uh, employed people in my family indirectly for many years, um, and uh, in the in the early '80s, they had the opportunity to they they had the, the invention for a digital camera, right? And they had the opportunity to dominate that. But they, they said, no, this is going to disrupt our business, and this is going to and the quality is not as good, and it's you know it's you know it's bastardizing the the photography business, right? And they, they, they passed on it and, and they said, no, we're not going to do this. And they stuck in their old ways because that was their bread and butter. That's where they were safe and that's where they were comfortable. But now they have gone bankrupt. They barely exist now. They're just a name. Um, and, and what you don't want to be is a Kodak. And, and providers today need to understand that healthcare is changing and it's always going to be changing. And the healthcare of the future is going to be simple. And so while some of these technologies might feel dubious or they might feel scary or they might not feel as good quality, you have to look out 10, 20 years in the future and say, where, where is healthcare going? And the healthcare of the future is going to be simple, it's going to be more accessible, and it's going to be better. And even though things might not be as good now, it, it's good, like Kodak was in the early 80s, you have to be able to embrace the future because whether you like it or not, the future is going to come and it, you just have to decide which side of uh, history are you going to be on and are you going to be on the side that created that future or are you going to be on the side that resisted that future and got left behind how often do you look at um do you look at other technologies that are available to determine what you're going to do do you are you using just um just what your your user feedback is or or do you actually actively go out and say what is what are these other companies doing that we should be doing yeah, no, we, we've been very successful with Doximy, uh, but we understand 10, 15 years, Doximy as it exists today shouldn't be what it is. It should be gone. We should, be, we should, we should have disrupted and innovated and progressed beyond ourselves. And if we don't do that, we, we're going to be left behind. So we have to be the creators and authors of our own dis disruptive innovation. Um, and so we are actively looking at uh, uh, dozens of ideas at any one time of where's the future going uh, and placing bets on a lot of these things so that we can help create that future so that we don't get disrupted by somebody else who is making that bet. And so that's one of our big things. We're, we're maintaining the product so that providers have what they need and we're listening to them and we're adding things to improve it. But at the same time, we're thinking five, 10 years out and saying, what, where's the future going to be? What's gonna, what, it's gonna, what is it going to look like? And what can we do now to, to create that so we are the one creating the future um, and not the one being acted upon. Do you think, you know, one of the things that, um, that I like so much about Doxy Me is that it, um, 
if you have a physical practice and you have a mechanism for collecting copays and billing insurance and all that other kind of stuff, it's such a great augmenting, right? Because it's so simple. Um, where uh, where some other companies have have kind of come to the table, which I think at this point for my practice just doesn't make any sense because it's so complex. But they're trying right. to do all these other kind of front office desk stuff. It, are the majority of the pay, the doctors that you're working with, they sort of already have that infrastructure built in. So this is just kind of plugging in a, a place to see a patient with all the other infrastructure. Or do you are you really building kind of that front of the house infrastructure so that you can offload that end? Well, I'll, I'll pause there and see if you are, and then I'll have a second follow up question. Yeah. Um- there's a, a saying that we go by that when you've seen one practice, you've seen one practice. Uh, everybody is different. And if you try to build a one size fits all solution, you'll build a one size fits none solution. Mm-hmm. And so we, our approach is keep it as small, simple, and minimalistic as possible so that it can be used as a standalone. Some people are still on paper charts and they just have Doximy video. That's it. And, and that's the only technology they use. And Doximy is able to support that. Some people have full-fledged EHRs with digitized everything. And guess what? They can still plug Doximy into it because it's so simple. Um, and so that's so we, we take that approach that we don't try to bolt on everything and be a one, one-stop shop for everything. But we try to build our technologies in a way that allow it to be plug-and-play. And similar to how an iPhone works, you have the basic core platform. Uh, but then when you want to... Um, extend that iPhone with an app that helps you look for homes or an app that, um, you know, keeps track of your, your steps or something like that, whatever. And you can add that on and you can customize it to exactly what you need. If, if, if Apple tried to create a phone that fit exactly what I needed and I wanted as a, uh, um, as a, you know, 30 something male with, you know, a family, and, and try to market that and sell that, they're going to sell to nobody and, and make nobody happy because it's not going to be perfect. So, but the, the, the wisdom and the, the beauty of, of um, the iPhone is that they provide the basic functionality that everybody needs and then provides the ability to extend that functionality with the particulars of each individual person. So no one iPhone is exactly the same across everyone because it's personalized and tailored to themselves. And so that's the approach that we're taking with Doximy. We have the core functionality, uh, but then we're going to be extending it through an app store that allows each provider to customize and personalize it to exactly what they need. So if they have a full-fledged EGR, they can plug in and add a little bit what they need here. Or if they are a solo provider and they don't have anything else, they can run it all through Doximy and, and, and create it, their own EHR through Doximy by extending whatever they need. So um, that's that's the approach that we're, we have taken, we are taking, and, and we, we see that as essential to as we move forward. Well, Dr. Welch, thanks so much for being on. I appreciate it. It gives me a lot of perspective on on how you came to do what you're doing and and kind of the natural evolution of the space. Any parting words? Where can people find you? How do they sign up? Um, where do they get more information about what you're doing with your podcast? Um, and um, yeah, go ahead. Take it away. Yeah, no, I appreciate this time. I love, I love talking about this stuff. Um, I think the best way is just Go to doxyme, D-O-X-Y M-E, and sign up for a free account. It costs nothing except 20 seconds of your time to create an account. And just see what it's all about. And 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 doesn't cost you anything, and, but you can, you can see what it's like. And then from there, once you're plugged in, you can 
uh, yeah, check out, we have a podcast where we're interviewing all sorts of providers all across the healthcare field and all sorts of different perspectives. But the best way is just to, to create an account, try it out, and then and then from there you get plugged into the, the whole Doxme uh, world and ecosystem. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Cool. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun.